Well, thank you for inviting me back, friends. At least I hope I can call you friends. Uh, first, I want to update you a little bit on Leanne. She asked me to do that. She sends her greetings and thanks you for your ongoing prayers on her behalf. About three weeks ago, she went back to Ukraine. The war is about 50 miles away yet. It hasn't moved much. And, uh, but she felt God was leading her back, even though the war is grinding on. Her home city has had minimal damage so far. A couple of missiles hit the airport, one hit the steel plant, and one cluster bomb hit the edge of town. Though there were a lot of rockets fired, they all seemed to be misguided. When she got back to her apartment, it had been eight months since she was gone, she went to the grocery store and found prices were double what they were eight months ago. So if you think it's bad in the grocery store here, you should be there. Uh, and uh, as she was shopping, the air raid sirens went off. That was her first exposure to air raid sirens. And she ended up uh, having to take cover. Uh, there was nothing that happened, but the sirens go off fairly regularly. Um, so she's getting used to living in the war zone. She commented that things have changed in other ways, too, and, and some of them very beneficially. She said people are wanting to talk to her now. Uh, she's lived in this building about 18 years, and it's a, it's a big high-rise, I think seven stories. And she knows a lot of the people, but generally it's just high. She meets them in the hall or the elevator. But when, they got, when she got back, they all want to talk. Why did you come back here in a war zone when you were safe? And that gives her the opportunity to, for a simple response to spread the gospel and to help serve you. Uh, one lady in her apartment building, who she hardly knew, brought her flowers and said, by coming back, you have given us hope again. She has lots of opportunities to witness that never existed before. Last summer, her church family had a camp out, all whole family camp out, and she worked a couple months getting ready for it, getting all the plans made. And it was just like an adult camp would be with families and children. If they didn't have the sound on, you could be a camp at Lake Beauty or someplace of that nature. Uh, when the sound was on, they're singing Russian. But uh, everybody in her ministry team said, our people have a lot of stress. We need to do a camp again. So two weeks from the time she got back, they had a camp this weekend. And they had about 60 people there. And they went out in the country, and the, the lake was green, but uh, they still had a wonderful time. She urges you to keep praying for her and her ministry team, for President Zelensky, the end of the war, and safety for everyone. Hmm. I miss a big pulpit. You can see my knees shaking now. You couldn't do that before. <laughs> uh, you know, what Leanne was talking about it's just indicative of the problems we're facing. Just turn on the news today, and we're bombarded by news that sounds like the world is coming to an end. We wander around looking down, worry, 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 and we wonder what's going to happen. If we're dealing with issues of anxiety and fear, what's the, what's the solution? Do you ever feel hopeless? Powerless as you struggle with the issues of life? <laughs> what will be the end of the war in Ukraine? Is that madman going to push the red button and, 
and start World War III? Uh, what if Iran develops a bomb? What, if, what do we do if China takes over, tries to take over Taiwan? Uh, where will our computer chips come from then? If you haven't noticed, the stock market's been in a dive, and some of us have seen our nest eggs starting to look more like pullet eggs. Um, but the markets go up and down. But the question is, what are we going to live on in retirement? It appears now that COVID is not going to kill us, but maybe monkeypox will. And I, I wake up sore and stiff in the morning a lot more than I used to, and I see my hair is getting a little bit grayer, and I don't move quite as fast as I used to. But at least, Tim, I have hair. <laughs> and, you know, we, I mean, a lot of us wonder about our kids and families. You know, some of us have kids that aren't walking with God, and we ask, where did I fail? Uh, some of us have children's marriages that are failing, or maybe our own marriages are a bit shaky, and we ask, what can I do? For a lot of us, we're lonesome. Uh, so lonesome. Being alone after being locked up for two years with COVID and uh, being alone more than with people, I'm even starting to talk to cats. And what's worse, cats talk back. Uh, some of us have had tests in the doctor's office and we're awaiting results and we fear the worst. Some of us, especially as we get older, older start to feel useless and have really no reason to get up in the morning. And my world is spinning out of control, and I, sometimes I just want to get off the ride. Anybody agree with some of those statements? Can, you probably can relate to all of them, some of them. We just want to hang our heads and wonder if there is a solution. And am I the only person that feels this way? King David, the mighty vat of God, in Psalm 42 writes, Why so downcast, O my soul? He had bad days, too. The news reports show that Americans are suffering from anxiety issues more than ever before. Experts call it a mental health crisis. Even children are feeling it. Suicides are way up, even among young people, as they're feeling fear, hopelessness, and helplessness that pervades our thinking. The last years, I think I've said more than once, I wish the Lord would just come back and get it over with. Do you ever feel that way? Am I the only one that says, boy, it'd be better just to be out of here. Let, it, let him come back. But anxiety is really just worrying about things today that may or may not occur tomorrow. It may never be a problem. If you can answer the affirmative to anything that I've just said, as Christians, we may have one problem. Maybe our view of God is too small. Think about that. Our view of God is too small. It's simply that. We have what we think is huge issues in our life, and our view of God is too small to help us and help solve our problems. So for many, the view of a little God is sort of like a security blanket. You know, we feel good. We know that when we die, we're going to go to heaven. And then he kind of provides us with a get-out-of-hell card, much like a Monopoly get-out-of-jail card if you play Monopoly. That means we're not going to have to go in, into punishment. Uh, when we die, we're going to escape this world, and we don't fear the horrors of hell. In the meantime, we just hold on one more day at a time. I know a lot of us pray, but how many of us really expect answers? At least we go through the emotions and maybe we feel better. Matthew 21, 22 says, 
in all things whatsoever you ask, you shall receive. We may believe that God cannot answer our prayers or will not answer our prayers or is not able to answer our prayers. But to put this in perspective, we need to take a few minutes and look at how big our God is. First chapter of Genesis said God created the universe and he spoke things into existence. So when he said, let there be a universe, planets and galaxies and solar systems came rushing out of his mouth. That's a big, big God if he could speak the universe into existence. And that would have been a really big bang. In the following verses, he spoke day and night, oceans and dry land, plants, and all forms of animals were created. But he did not speak man into existence. He knelt down, formed him by the dirt of the ground, and in the first case of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, breathed into him the breath of life. We were so special, he did not speak us into existence. He spoke everything else into existence, but us he created mankind. Does that sound like a God that does not have the power or cannot solve the problems of the world? It makes them look almost insignificant, doesn't it? I'm sure he sits back and chuckles about us worrying about insignificant things that will pass. In the Old Testament, they knew how big God was and so all-encompassing. And they gave God eight names. Uh, it took eight names to describe him. Jehovah Jireh, meaning God who provides. Jehovah Rophi, a God who heals. Jehovah Nisi, a God who is my banner. Jehovah Makadish, a God who sanctifies. Jehovah Shalom, a God who sends peace. And Jehovah Sikenu, a God of righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, a God who is my shepherd. And Jehovah Shammah, a God who is there. This is not a description of a little God, but of a big God who is everything to everybody and can provide everything that we need. He's a God who can heal. He was a God who is righteous and can sanctify us. He's a God who can send peace to our lives where there's turmoil. He's going to lead us when we're lost. He's always there, and his banner goes before us every day of our lives. I think we should take a look at a few verses from 2 Kings 6, chapter, verses 8 to 15, which might be relevant today. It deals with the prophet Elisha. Uh, I guess he's put it up there. Maybe have the same translation, maybe not. But King Aram of Syria took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place I will build my camp. But the man of God, Elisha the prophet, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware where you pass this place. And the king of Israel went about a different way. The king of Israel sent to the place about where God had sent him. Thus he was warned, and he had been saved himself more than once or twice. So Elisha had warned the king several times what the Syrians were planning on doing. Uh, and verse 11, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. Obviously he thought there was a spy in his court somewhere. Because of this thing he called his servants and said, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that even you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, and I will seize him. 
it was told that he would be in Dotham. So he sent horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, it appears that Elisha was about to have a very bad day. Uh, the city is surrounded by the enemy, and uh, probably even a worse day than some of us are experiencing. Now, Paul Harvey used to say, and now for the rest of the story, verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God arose early in the morning, he went out and beheld the army of horses and chariots that was around the city. And the servant said, Lord, what shall we do? And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And the Lord opened the eyes of his servant, and he looked up and beheld a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. The servant had a little view of God, but they, and they knew that he, they would be as good as dead until he saw the power and plan of God. The situation continues. Verse 18, the Syrians came down against him, and Elisha prayed, strike them with blindness. And he struck the whole army with blindness, according to the prayers of Elisha. And Elisha went out of the city and to them and said, this is not the way. And he led them to Samaria, where the king of Israel was encamped. And the king of Israel said, shall we king, kill them? And Elisha said, no, feed them, give them water, and send them home. And after that, they had no more problems with the Syrians. So here's my question for the day. When you're caught up in troubles of the world, are you willing to let God open your eyes, look up, and see the armies of God surrounding you, and realize that his army far surpasses, it surpasses any and all of your problems? The Bible's full of promises. Anybody want to guess how many promises are in the Bible? According to Google, a good source, 8,810 promises are in the Bible. 7,487 of those promises made by God to man. And we're going to spend the rest of the morning talking about eight, all 7,487 of them. Uh, no, we will only look at a few of these. But it should have woken you up anyway when I said I was going to talk about all of them. Uh, we've already looked at the fact that our God is big, creator of the universe, creator of man in his image, who sacrificed his son. So why would we doubt that he's going to keep his word for us? You ever notice when you're worried about something, you can't concentrate on anything else? Uh, you have no peace. We were downcast just like David was. God wants us to live victorious lives. Uh, now, sometimes not, that's not easy to do. During the worst days of COVID, Americans were cowering in fear and it was inflamed by the media that we watched every night because there was nothing else to do. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous hand. So when the rockets are flying overhead, we can say, I do not fear because God is with me. When your world is spinning out of control, do not be dismayed, for I am with you. What incredible promises these are. God can do this, but we must really believe in a big God. When you're totally confused and don't know which way to turn, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for you to prosper. You will not be harmed. Plans to give you hope and a future. Even then, we think that life has passed us by or we're too old or anything. He still has a plan for us. A big God has a plan for us 
that is not completed until the day he takes us home. If we're struggling with finances and other material things, Philippians 4 9 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That promise says that he will meet our needs if it's $4 a gallon gasoline or $5 a pound hamburger. He will provide. That's his promise. Provide for our needs. Doesn't say our wants, but our needs. That takes a big God. Whatever our problems are, we are assured God is able. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, we ask or think, he can do more than we ask or think. If that's not enough to convince you we're dealing with a big God, there are a few more promises. He promises he will keep us from falling. He will build us up. He is able to subdue all things and can save you to the utmost. So the question is, what does all this apply to me? Well, what will happen if there's a war in the Ukraine or China attacks Taiwan or Iran gets the bomb or any of these things? Look up and see the army of God is poised to protect you. What if the stock market takes a bigger dive and the 401k becomes a 201k? Look up and see that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the old song says. What if there's something worse than COVID coming? Look up and see the God who heals. What if I wake up sore and stiff and I'm getting older and I'm useless and lonesome? Look up and remember that God has a plan for you. What if my kids aren't walking with God and marriages are failing? Look up and see a God who restores. What if the tests came back last week and they weren't good? Look up and see a God who heals. My world's spinning out of control and there's nothing I can do about it. Look up and see a God that spoke everything to existence and he cares for us to the greatest extent possible, enough to send his son. We may deal with really big problems, but we have even a bigger God who can deal with these as though they were nothing. Thank you.